welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Matthew chapter 7. Welcome, everyone. We've started a new series today. It's called Lost in Translation, which I'm very excited about. I'll say more about in just a moment, but I want to read, I'm going to begin this morning with a story. Um, for those of you that have been hanging around Awaken lately, you know that lots happening in our denomination and uh, our annual meeting for our denomination is coming up in uh, the end of this month. And I was just really inspired, encouraged by what you're about to hear. And so this is, uh, this is twofold. One, I think this is just beautiful and gets at something that I think is really important. But then also, in the event that my sermon is lackluster, this is great. So sort of a... Double, double threat guy. Uh, this is a letter written by an old-time covenanter, a guy named Leland Anderson, and he is retired, lives out in Denver, uh, was a lawyer during his career, but um, a long-time covenant, uh, what would I say, statesperson. He wrote this. He says, I visited the Swedish covenant church where my wife's great-grandparents worshipped in Sweden last fall. We spoke to the minister who told us an interesting story about the past. He told us that the local Lutheran state church bishop, this is long ago, hated the mission friends, where the readers, which is what covenanters were known as, the readers gathered to worship. Readers were a sect of believers in Sweden who gathered to read scripture on their own and to exercise their own powers of discernment and understanding in the interpretation of scripture. They were a threat to the Lutheran state church of Sweden, They were not allowed to preach the word or interpret scripture, but were allowed to sing. And so they created songbooks with songs having dozens of verses in order that they could sing their faith and belief to one another, verse after verse. One night, the church of my wife's ancestors was burned to the ground, and the local Lutheran bishop stood over the embers and told the forlorn congregation that he was glad that their church had burned to the ground, that their religion had finally been consumed by the smoldering embers of the building. In response, a stalwart peasant from the congregation walked up to the bishop and said this, The church may have been burned to the ground, dear sir, and then placing his fist on his heart, he continued, but the fire that burns in our hearts will never be extinguished. And by historical record and fact, the old Swedish peasant was correct. He and others of similar conscience departed Sweden, and they came to America, where they founded the Evangelical Swedish Covenant Church. They founded it because of the fire that burned in their hearts, a fire that burned for the love of Jesus and for freedom to read the Bible, guided by their own conscience, as well as prayer and reflection and open exchange of ideas with other, other readers of the Bible. This is the pietistic heritage of the Covenant Church. This is what the Covenant Church is, was, and always will be, burning in the hearts of true Covenanters for over the decades. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. That is all I have to say about that. You can't improve on it, you know? It's like, just let it lie. Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, we're in, uh, uh, like I said, Matthew 7. We'll start in verse 1. If you can, please stand, and we will read through verse 6. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I think I actually said that to my brother when I was a kid. 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And this is what we'll focus on today. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, we do so recognizing that your church is gathered all around the world. And we're grateful that we're a part of it. Um, God, we're mindful of the church gathered in Virginia this weekend and uh, the loss and the grief that they've experienced um, yet again. Uh, and so we pray for courage and for strength for Emmanuel, that you would be that for them and that they would be that for those around them. That the power of the resurrection, that light and life, not death and darkness, gets the last word. And so while death may get a word for a bit, I pray that, uh, that your church would be a light, would be a voice of hope and a voice of strength and healing in a time when it's needed most. So we pray for them, we pray for us, uh, that you might shine a light in our hearts and challenge us to be the people that you've called us to be. In the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Lost in Translation, one of my favorite series. Uh, which is essentially an exploration of difficult Bible passages. We do this for a number of reasons, but I'll note two this morning. First and foremost, did you know the Bible was written a really long time ago? Like over 1,500 years ago, likely um, almost 17, 1,800 years at the latest piece that was added. It was written a really long time ago in an ancient world by multiple authors. It was redacted and then compiled and gathered by multiple sources and people through multiple processes. And there is some things in it that are just bonkers, really hard to understand and hard to make sense of. We want to say that that's true. We're not going to be naive about that. We're not going to gloss over that. We're not going to say, well, if the Bible says it, I believe it. That's enough. We're not going to do that because that's not satisfactory to me. And as long as I'm the pastor, it's not going to be satisfactory for you, okay? <laughs> we want to wrestle with this thing. We want to dig into it. We want to, like, see what's there. One, because all of that's true. It's really, it's written a long time ago, and there's a lot of things that are hard to understand and that, that don't translate. Good. I'm glad. It is barbaric and, and chaotic and patriarchal. Yep, that's true. Now what? So we're not going to na be naive and gloss over those things, but also, I believe and we believe that it is one of the ways in which God speaks. Hallelujah. It's one of the ways that God reveals God's self to us. And so we're going to say, speak, Lord. We are listening. Let's open it. Let's dig into it. Let's wrestle with it. Let's see what it says for us today in 2019. So that's why we do this series. Um, and I, and I love it. It's one, again, it is one of my favorite ones. It's a way that you can sort of leave and go to your cabins throughout the summer and come back and not feel like you missed anything because we'll still be in Lost in Translation. So there you go. Um, and we're going to do Jesus this summer. All Lost in Translation, Jesus style. So only things that Jesus has said. And, and there are, there's no shortage of bizarre things he says in the Gospels. This one being maybe a great example. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. <laughs> I read that this week. Laura's like, what are, you, what are you preaching on? And I read it, and she's like, turn and tear you to pieces? Is that in there? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a, l a large part of my career, and I moved back to Minnesota in 2001. I was preaching on a holiday weekend because that's what pastors do with their youth pastors, they go out of town and they say, hey, would you like to preach? It happens to be Memorial Day, July 4th and Labor Day. How you like that? 
So me, you know, taking crumbs from the table said, absolutely, I'd love to. I'd take any chance I get. I got something to say. So I get up there and I do my thing. I preach and this guy comes up to me afterwards and he's like, hey, I'm a radio talk show host in the Twin Cities um, and I, I just get visiting your church today and I thought what you had to say was really, really sharp. You, you know, you're a smart guy, good looking too. Oh, well, thank you. And he's like, you know, I, sometimes I go out of town every now and again. I'm looking for, like, a, somebody who can fill in for me. Would you ever be interested in that? I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Radio talk show? Let's do this. Didn't he look up the guy? Didn't, like, had no idea, like, what kinds of things they were doing on this radio show. So I show up to, the, to KKMS, AM 980, down in Burnsville to, like, sit in on a talk show. And um, I don't, I, it was... It was very, very conservative Christian talk radio, okay? So whatever that means for you, it was that. I get in there, and I'm just like green as, you know, wet behind the ears, like no idea what I'm getting into. And somehow we get into the topic of talking about students and youth ministry. And he, you know, and I'm, we're talking about kids who are, you know, causing trouble, rabble-rousers, doing what they do, making trouble at youth group. And he says to me, I mean, is there a point at which you just kick these kids out of youth group? You can't cast pearls before swine. And I'm like, God, that sounds awful. I don't think Jesus would do that. And he's like, no, I mean, this is the gospel. We're talking about Jesus died for this. Like, you can't cast pearls before swine. And I was like, is that what that means? That was really the first time I'd heard somebody use it, like, in context to say something. And I thought, geez, if that's true, that's really mean. <laughs> I don't really like that God if that's what God is like. Um, but I just held my ground as like a 23-year-old. I'm like, I just don't think kicking kids out of youth group is good, a good idea. Like, unless they're harming other children, like, we should probably let them come, right? So that's what we're talking about today, Pearls and Pigs. That's the title of my sermon. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you a little background on this passage and where it comes from. I want to give you three options to interpret it, and then I want to tell you one thing. That's all I want to do today. I, I've thought about this prepared for it, and I was like, what, what, is, what do I want to say this week? What do I want to offer these people? And I'm like, it's one thing. So that's it, friends, one thing. little background. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, there are four Gospels. Matthew records one of Jesus's most brilliant works. It's the only Gospel that records it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like three chapters, five, six, and seven in Matthew's Gospel. It begins with the Beatitudes, and it ends with this sort of discourse and teaching section. This picture right here is the Mount of Beatitudes. So all over Israel, of course, capitalism is alive as, uh, over there as well. So they find places that they allege to be the place that Jesus did something amazing. They build a temple, and then they charge you money to see it. So that's the Mount of Beatitudes. It is quite beautiful, um, honestly. And if you go to the next picture, you can imagine a gathering of people on this sort of sloped shore going down to the water. If you've ever been near a lake and spoken, like your voice travels quite a bit. And so um, it's a, it's a man-made amphitheater. It's lovely. So you can imagine Jesus gathering a crowd of people on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and then sits down and he begins teaching and he gives the Sermon on the Mount. The first part of the Beatitudes, if you didn't know, there are eight main windows in the, in the church in here and then two missionary windows, but these eight windows are the eight windows, the eight Beatitudes of Matthew's gospel, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So it starts over here, blessed are the poor in spirit, I think, and then it goes around and gets all of them. There's a church figure uh, from history that connects to that Beatitude. 
When we moved into this building, I actually did a whole series that summer on these windows, including Christopher Columbus, which we saved the best for last. <clears throat> be that as it may, eight windows, beatitudes, that's how the sermon begins, and then Jesus does this sort of teaching discourse. He ends with this long sort of... Uh, well, sermon, as it were, about things that would have made sense to the people who heard them first. And we get this little piece. I read verses 1 to 4, so you've got some context. But Jesus is talking about judging in this first part. He's talking about uh, offering wisdom on this tricky subject of what does it mean to be in community with each other and offer critique or judgment, as it were, on, in one another's life. And he, he says, basically, um, don't sit in the seat of the judge is how I would paraphrase it. One author writes it this way. The whole business of judging persons is in God's hands. For God alone knows the secrets of men. We can include women here. We're, we're much more egalitarian than this fella. This does not mean that we are not to use all the moral insight we possess in order to discover what's right and wrong. No, no, that's a part of life. This is what we do. The rabbis said that we, we separate what's light and heavy, what's, what's dark and light, Right? Uh, that's part of living, but we are to confine ourselves to that field and refrain from sitting in the seat of judgment, ultimate, to declare something over someone's life. That's God's business. That's God's deal. So Jesus says, hey, if you're going to offer critique, his wisdom is, don't be hypocritical in your relationships with each other. Be sure to take the plank out of your own eye before you look at the speck in someone else's. Like, get your house in order so that what you offer has some sort of value, and then he lobs in this bizarre saying right after that, don't give dogs what is sacred, don't throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they, will trample, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So, a little background. How do you interpret this passage? Three options. Or as my Uncle Jake taught his brother, his son Nolan, three options. Can you imagine your kindergartner showing up to kindergarten and be like, I like to ask three questions. And the teacher's like, who taught you to do that? My dad. Um, three options, the first of which is literal. There are many people who read the Bible, and they would say that the best way forward when you read Scripture is the most straightforward reading of the passage. They often will say a plain reading of the text, to which I would just say there isn't one. We all read it through our own perspective. You know this, don't you? There is no view from nowhere. Let me say that again. There is no view from nowhere. You can't just read the text. You have to interpret it just by like reading it. You're taking it in and now it's contaminated by you. You can't read it literally, but some people try and they would just say like, just read it literally. So Jesus is talking about, actually, he's talking about dogs and pigs and not giving them pearls. Uh, because if you do, well, they don't eat them. <laughs> so they're not going to eat them. They're going to trample them under their feet, and they won't like you because you've given them pearls. And they don't like pearls. So don't do that. Clearly, this is not helping, right, in this passage. So I'm going to suggest that we not read it literally. Um, another option, I apologize, that was a little pejorative and maybe unnecessary because it was funny. Another option is allegorical. So some people read a passage like this and they say, it's allegory, right? An allegory is simply a popular form of literature in which a story points to a hidden or symbolic parallel meaning. 
certain elements, such as people, things, or happenings in the story, point to a corresponding element on another realm or level of meaning. You all know how this works. This happens in the Bible all the time. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is a great example of allegory. This is the story of David and Nathan, the prophet. The prophet says this in chapter 12, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had one, one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. He grew up with him and his children. He sh it shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the one ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the, one who, the traveler who had come. David is incensed by this. Like, I cannot believe this rich man. He should be killed. And Nathan says, that man is you. Right? The story of David and Bathsheba. David is the rich man, Uriah, the army general, is the poor man, Bathsheba is the little ewe lamb, David takes what isn't his, right? It's an allegory. Each person has a, a corollary or in meaning on another level. So in this case, when reading the, the Pearls and Pigs passage, people would say, well, uh, the, the, the pearl of great value is the gospel, the good news about God, and the dogs and the pigs are the Gentiles, the outsiders. And so you don't give what's of great value to the outsiders or the, to, the, to the dogs and the pigs. Uh, this makes a little bit of sense because Jesus often even says it about himself. He says, I've come to speak to the house of Israel, right? Jesus the prophet, prior to his death and resurrection, his message was for the house of Israel. It was for the Jews, Right? He has a critique, uh, uh, an invitation of repentance to them to be what they were intended to be, which was a city on a hill, a light that couldn't be hidden. So in some ways, he was speaking to the, to the Jews and not the Gentiles. And so his message, the pearl of great value, would only be given to them and not to them. Right? That makes a little bit of sense. But even still, Paul says in later, like, uh, um, the gospel first came to the Jews and then the Gentiles. But like on this side of, of death and resurrection and the good news being for everyone, it, it sort of raises a few questions about the nature of God and, and why these people for whom timing just wasn't on their side are called pearls and uh, dogs and, and pigs. I, I would have a few questions about that. Um, another way to allegorize this passage, which the early Christians did in a text called the Didache, which was like a manual for early Christians, they said that this was about the Eucharist, and that the Eucharist is the pearl of great value, and you only give that to the baptized believer. So you wouldn't give it to, you wouldn't offer the Eucharist to someone who is not baptized. To which I would just say, that's anachronism. Anachronism is basically an a, a, a unfortunate mistake in time, right? Jesus wouldn't be talking about the Eucharist because he's not dead and resurrected yet, which his body and blood become the elements of Eucharist. So he, why would he say that? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know why they didn't get that. I don't know why they couldn't see that. It seems so logical to me. But either way, for a long time, Christians would say, don't cast pearls before pigs. Don't give the Eucharist to unbaptized believers. It's like, ah. So clearly I'm not for the literal interpretation, and clearly I'm saying allegory might not be our best option, so then what? I want to suggest that wisdom... The ancient Jewish wisdom tradition is where this text finds its home and makes the most sense. The book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Catholic Bible, the, the book of the wisdom of Solomon, are all a part of what's called Jewish wisdom literature, of which Jesus had in his hip pocket. You know what I'm saying? 
So he's just running around Galilee and, the, and, and Israel teaching and offering things, and every now and again, he'd just like throw out these phrases. Don't cast pearls before pigs. You might, they might trample on them, and then they'll turn on you and tear you to pieces. People are like, oh, hallelujah, brother. I hear what you're saying. All kinds of wisdom literature that he's got memorized that he can slip into teachings here and there. We do this all the time, by the way. We have phrases in our culture that we say that we know what you're talking about. If you were to say Minnesota nice, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, totally. I know what you mean. Except for Californians. They're like, what does that even mean? Sorry if you're from California. My wife is. It was a low blow. Um, okay, I'll play. What are some phrases in our culture that we say all the time that if you were to fast forward 2,000 years from now, people then might say, huh? It's raining cats and dogs. Very good. What else? That's dope. <laughs> yep, totally. Say it again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Jesus lit. Lost in translation. Lit. Oh. I think I told you guys this. I said that to my 15-year-old, and she just gave me that, like, groaner foul. You know, like, oh, Dad, do not say that. Okay, what else? A penny for your thoughts, sir. Yes. Gram that. Tweet that. YOLO. Yes, somebody said that first hour, too. You, you only live once, in case you didn't know what that means. Yeah. You only live once. Go ham. Uh, hey, hey, Siri. <laughs> right? Just Google it. You, know, you get what I'm saying, right? We have all these phrases, and, and, and we know what they mean. I think that this, this one falls in that category for Jesus. This is a part of Jewish wisdom literature. There are others like it even in our Bible. Proverbs 11:12. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Oftentimes, Jewish wisdom literature, the power of it is like the incredul incredulity of the two images. Like, oh my gosh, the whoa, stark contrast between them. Um, Proverbs 23:9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool who will only despise the wisdom of your words. Sounds like something your grandmother would say, right? Because it's true. It's wisdom. That's the way this stuff works. And actually, I think that's a pretty good look into the passage that we've read. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool who will only despise the wisdom of your words. My offering to you this morning, if you want to, like, what is Jesus saying? The idea is as follows. If you possess something of great value, be careful who you give it to and who you share it with. If you are not wise with whom and when you share or offer this pearl of great value, you may find that the recipients do not understand or value the gift that you are intending to give. And you may find yourself in a tricky situation. Now, of course, the obvious answer to this one, like if we're going to sort of say, okay, what is the pearl of great value? Obviously, you could say, yep, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is the pearl of great value. You know, don't force that on somebody who doesn't want to hear it. Don't give something of great value to someone who's not interested in it. Yes, great, awesome. Not good. That's one way to think about this. I want to share a story with you as I close, and I want to try to offer um, some wisdom that is hard-earned from a volume of work and life lived by myself uh, that I think really gets at what Jesus is saying when he says, don't give something of great value to, to people or someone who does not or cannot understand it. Uh, 2014 or so, right before an election, um, 
Some friends of mine were gathered together, and these were friends who have, we have seen it all together. We have gone through the highs and the lows, triumphs and the valleys together. So a lot of water under the bridge. People who, uh, who I, were, I, I am and was very, very close to. Uh, at that point in my life, I was having, I would say, a spiritual breakthrough. Uh, it was right after I had been to Israel, uh, in 2013, and God was so alive to me and uh, revealing new things to me, and I was seeing God in a way that I had never seen God before. I was seeing people in a way I had never seen people before. I was seeing myself in a way. It was electric, right? Energies and openings all over the place. If you're interested in this kind of conversation around something of great value to you and then sharing that with someone else, there's a podcast. Just search Energies and Openings. It's a guy who leads trips to the Camino, and he talks about what does it look like to come back from a place where you have experienced an energy and an opening to the divine, and then trying to like offer that to those who you care about. There's ways to do that that are wiser than others. All right, He does in an hour and a half what I'm going to give you in five minutes. Here we go. So I am having energies and openings, breakthroughs. God is transforming my heart and life in a way that I haven't had happen since I was in college. And of course, I wanted to share that with the people that were closest to me. So I'm at the Liffey on West 7th. I'm in the corner. I'm in a booth in the corner against the wall, so I can't get out. You see where this is headed. I begin sharing. I begin offering these pearls of great value, these things very close to my heart, uh, as close as one could possibly get, maybe, like experiences that I am having with God and God shaping me and, and loving me and declaring things over me and I'm learning and growing. And so I offer these things and all of a sudden, what I thought would be of encouragement and of value and that I would be thanked for, uh, I, it felt like there was a snarling pack of dogs. Have you ever seen that in a movie, you know, where like these dogs are just snapping and someone's backed up into a corner. And that's what I felt like. What was intended to be a dialogue, which is a two-way conversation between mutually respected adults, became an interrogation and a trial where I was being asked by very fear-filled, anxious people to defend myself and explain myself. And I don't know if you've ever been in that scenario before. But it was very alarming to me. And I will go as far as to say traumatic. I, I don't sweat. I'm not a sweaty guy. But I was sweating. Like my body was showing its response to this experience. And I remember leaving that night. And I, I said to myself, I will never do that again. And then I just wept all the way home. I have a sneaky suspicion that some of you are in this church because you're hearing things and seeing things and experiencing God in new ways that you haven't in a long time and you've been searching for them and you've found a place and now it's like somebody said to me one time, I've come to awaken and I feel like I'm breathing oxygen, like pure oxygen. Like, I am, I am hearing, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm being invited to, I'm welcome to explore the Bible in a way I've never been before. So I'm just guessing, if I know anything about this church that I pastor, that many of you are finding that you are holding pearls of great value. 
And what you want to do, my guess, if you're anything like me, is to share that with the people that are closest to you. And I want to offer just a bit of wisdom as you leave this morning on how you might do that or choices you might make along the way to ensure or at least offer you the possibility of not experiencing what I experienced. One, don't offer pearls of great value to those who have not proven that they can handle what you are giving. Don't offer something of great value to you if, you have, if this person or these people have not proven themselves to be able to have a conversation, a dialogue, which requires great maturity and adulting. Don't give those things away to people who may not be able to appreciate and hold them. That is unwise, and it will come with great harm, possibly to your soul. Don't do it. Choose wisely who you journey with. You don't have to share everything with everyone. Your experience and your journey and your energies and openings are your gift. They are yours. And you can invest them in the world and in people and in others at your discretion. That's not greedy. That's wise. Don't give pearls of great value to dogs and pigs. This is what Jesus is saying. Number two, take the time to name, grieve, and bury the loss that you may experience. I really, really, really wanted those people to go on this journey with me. It would have meant the world to me for them to see me and to say, Micah, shoulder to shoulder. Not that I agree with everything that you say, but like we're in this together, right? I wanted that so badly. And that day I lost that. And I made a choice based on my experience that these people would not be able to hold those things with me and walk with me anymore. I want to give you freedom and permission to name the loss that that is, to grieve it, whatever you need to do, cry the tears you need to cry, scream at the heavens, write in your journal, go to one of those break rooms where you get to break stuff, you know, without recourse, <laughs> you know what I mean? Break everything you need to break, do whatever you need to do to grieve, to get it all out, and then bury it. And I don't say that lightly. Friends, life is full of deaths and births. It's always happening. And you can't keep saying yes to the life if, you're, if death is hanging around your neck. So name the deaths. Grieve them. They are sad. They are worthy of your tears and your anger. And then bury them. And move on. And hold, receive whatever life is coming next. Lastly, I would say, in that death and in that burial, where you may have to say to some people whom you've journeyed with for a long time, with, for, with whom you would love to keep journeying, but you cannot, you get to choose. The covenant of blood is thicker than the water. Oh, no, wait. Let me, let me see. if I, Somebody came up to me afterwards. They're like, try this. I can't remember it. Here's what I'm going to say. Have you ever heard that phrase, um, blood is thicker than water? In the family of Christ, I would argue that that is not true. The water of baptism is thicker than the blood of your family. You may have to say goodbye in some ways 
to people who are your family by blood, who just aren't able to do it, who, who, who can't hold it, and aren't able to keep walking with you and journeying with you. I'm not saying agreeing. I'm just saying like respectfully dialoguing and processing and wrestling with faith. And you may have to say goodbye to family in that process. And I want to encourage you. That's sad. Name it, grieve it, bury it. But you get to choose your parents in the family of Christ. You get to choose your brothers and your sisters. In the family of faith, the water of baptism is thicker than blood. Ruth and Naomi. Ruth is an outsider. She leaves her family. She leaves her people. She leaves her clan. And she says yes to a mother who is not her mother. She says, I will go where you go. Your people are my people. I would have loved to have a dad, a, a family, blood dad, who could process and who I could call and say, Dad, what do you think about this? I don't have that. Many of you don't have that. I've grieved, named, and buried it. And I have chosen fathers in my spiritual life who I can call. One of them's name is Joel. One of them's name is Alan. One of them's name is Rick. They are my fathers. My mothers, you get to choose. So as sad as it may be, I want to offer hope to you to say the family of Christ, this thing that we're doing called the family of God, this house of God that we get to participate in, is a gift of resource and beauty because we get adopted into a family that none of us belong to, and guess what we get? We get mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. So choose them. Name them. Pursue them. Ask. You get 80% of what you ask for. <laughs> What's the worst someone could say? No. That's the worst. So ask. My hunch is that this church is filled with a group of people for whom many of you are having energies and openings, and I just want to offer this small piece of wisdom to you this morning. That is of great value. Don't give it away to anybody and everybody, but choose who are the people that will journey with you, travel with you, challenge you, uh, uh, wrestle with you. I would hate if at some point in the future you were at a Thanksgiving dinner backed into a corner with a whole bunch of people snapping and snarling at you for whatever journey, whatever energy, whatever opening, whatever pearl of great value you have experienced and are offering if it didn't fall on the right ears. It's not the most profound thing I've ever said, but I think it is true, and I think it's wise, and I give it to you today. So pray with me. God, this morning, as we take just a few moments of silence, as we think about what it means to be a part of this family of God, as we think about the ways in which you speak to us and reveal and uh, invite, show up, offer yourself to us, when we, these energies and openings, these experiences and revelations that we have with you, God, they are of great value. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning as they consider what it means to put one foot in front of the other and walk this out, that they would be wise, that you would give them discernment. Holy Spirit, bring truth and turn on the lights. Help them see those around them that can hold and create non-anxious space to ask the questions that need to be asked and to process the things that need to be processed so that you can continue to transform us and show us and make us into the people that you've 
long for us to be, that you know we can be in you. So in the next few moments of silence, I want to invite you to maybe think, is there one pearl of value that I hold right now? And what am I to do with it? Who am I to offer it to? And when should I hold it? So Holy Spirit, speak. Give us wisdom, I pray. church gathered in St. Paul called Awaken, my brothers and sisters. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Prayer space is open if you need it. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.